Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. Amen. Welcome. Uh, We love to honor transitions here, so I'm going to start off by honoring a transition in our midst. We only have one graduating high school senior, uh, Megan Hagen. So Megan, you're going to have to stand. We can celebrate you. So Megan will be going to Liberty University to play on their soccer team. I know we have a few collegiate athletes in the room, uh, Steve being one. And so way to go, collegiate athletes. I res- mad respect. I definitely could not have done that. Um, and she'll also be studying nursing. I don't know how you can do both of those. Bless you. We'll be praying for you. Uh, we're so excited for what God has for your life. So way to go, Megan. Yeah, we, we love honoring transitions because we know not everyone's going to be here in Raleigh all the time, and you might not be in your job all the time. You, there will be transitions in your life, and we want to honor those and celebrate those. We want you to be deployed because you're called and commissioned, which is our uh, sermon series for this, sun, uh, this summer, and I'll continue today. Uh, before then, I want to honor my wife, Grace. So my name is Chris, and Grace and I lead the college ministry. Uh, but first and foremost, we're parents, and we take care of two little twins that are trying to keep them alive. Um, and they're trying to keep us up. Uh, so we've been up at, since 4.45 the past two days. Grace is like, that's not happening again, but Aiden will decide tomorrow morning. Um, <laughs> Grace has been a huge help this week. We had a really busy week. Uh, I was officiating wedding last night. So had a rehearsal dinner on Friday and Saturday. I had to drive an hour and a half there and then back, and she took care of the twins. So you can thank Grace for uh, all the diligent service that she did uh, in laying down her life. And I'm going to give her the rest of the day off and then Monday off. <laughs> so way to go, Grace. Now, we love this community. We love uh, the college students here. We love being a part of this family. It's been a huge blessing. It's been a huge uh, story in our own life. We, I met Grace when I moved out here to Raleigh uh, because of Ben Cash, so I got to give you credit. Thanks, Ben. You know, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Um, but it's, been, it's been a joy, and so it's an honor to be here this Sunday and to be sharing with you what I feel like the Lord's put on my heart. But I want to start off with prayer first. I'm going to read a prayer out of Colossians. Uh, if you bow your heads with me. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives us so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, that you'd please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Holy Spirit, we ask for a revelation of who Jesus is. Holy Spirit, we ask for a captivating vision of the kingdom of God. We ask for clarity and understanding according to your scriptures. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts and our minds today? We ask for your words, Father. We ask for a knowledge of your will, that we would know your will. We wouldn't be confused about what your will is, that we'd have knowledge of your will, that we'd be filled with your wisdom and understanding. And we thank you that it comes from you and we can't do it on our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if heresies keep you from eternal life, error 
in your theology can prevent you from having the fullness of life. So a heresy is believing something that is absolutely false and not true, and you will not experience eternal life. And we want to make sure that none of you experience any heresy in your life. However, we'll all, we'll all experience to a degree some sort of, and I'll, I'll, I'll clarify this, error in our theology. Or here's a better way of putting it. Your theology is not perfect. Perfect theology is Jesus, and until you know him fully, you will not have perfect theology. There will be gaps. You will have, there is mystery, and you won't be able to understand the fullness of that. And that's okay. We want to be a people that continually grow and have a, a correct view of Jesus and his kingdom. And so today, I want to talk about not being deceived and maybe aligning some places where in our hearts we can have a little bit of error. It's not that you don't have eternal life, but what we believe, can, we can miss the fullness of life that Jesus came to bring, that we can have a slight deviation of what he meant, and that can be because of the stories that we receive, the stories that we share on Sunday morning. Could be, there's a, numerous reasons why, uh, but many, they come down to the simplicity of us being human, and our knowledge and understanding is finite, but the Spirit is infinite. Spirit gives us knowledge. God's infinite. And so we want to align ourselves with, with him and his kingdom. And so hopefully today there's, there's some clarity if there's any little error that we're aligning ourselves with the kingdom of God. Sound good? All right, I'm going to give you an overview of what we've been doing for the past few years. Uh, so we've been talking about the discipleship cycle for the past few years, really since COVID started and then kind of opened things back up. We've been talking about the discipleship cycle. It starts with decided, delivered, disciplined, developed, and deployed. We want every single person, if you look up there, every single person here to be a devoted disciple of Jesus who has made a decision to follow him and has made a continual decision every single day to take up your cross and follow him. That you'd experience Jesus' deliverance ministry. That Jesus came to set us free. He came to heal us. He came to bring deliverance to our lives that we may be whole, full people that can walk out his kingdom purposes. That we be people who are disciplined in the spirit of God through the means of grace. That we'd have rhythms of prayer, of Sabbath, reading scripture, meditation on scripture, um, rhythms of sharing the gospel, that we'd be disciplined in our life. And over the past year, we've been focusing on developed, that we would be, we'd be a developed people, developed in our spiritual gifts and our kingdom calling, so that we would be deployed to, be, to bring his kingdom wherever you are. We want every single person in this room to be a devoted disciple that's deployed with a kingdom calling and a kingdom mission to where you are, and that you would go and make disciples also. So really over the past year, we focused on developed, and then over this past, in the spring, we focused on emotionally healthy spirituality. If you have not listened to the sermons, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, we cannot be spiritually mature while being emotionally immature. We want to be developed in our emotional health and how we relate to one another, how we love one another. And then two weeks ago, Ben introduced our summer series with a message called All Are Called. And for those who weren't there, like most of the college guys, went to the beach. It's okay. Be blessed. Um, it's all good. I disciple them, so I can call them out. I won't call anyone else out in the room. Uh, but the girls were here, so I'll give them a shout out. Uh, he gave six points that you can look up on here. All, our calling with God is first personal, relational, and intimate. He has called us to be before you do. He has called us to himself that we would be his people, that we would know him and walk with him, and out of our being, we would do. We're human beings, not human doings. That we're called to the mission of God, 
Our care for the things of this world can distract us from the mission of God, which I'll talk about today a little bit. The mission of God includes preaching the gospel, and like his sermon title was, all are called. So everyone in this room, you are called, and every single one is first called to be with him. And then last week, Steve, actually wait, pause, I'm going to give a bibliography, uh, got, a, got notes on this. I have some books, and I read them, except for one. Uh, <laughs> so these are the books for, that I've been reading, and the uh, works I'll be kind of referencing while I'm communicating this morning come from a lot of this. So if you, if something sticks out to you, you want more information from, I would encourage you to read these sources, specifically The Air We Breathe. Uh, a Anglican theologian compiled the research of secular historians of why we value what we value today, and every single secular historian points to Jesus. They're not Christians. Many of them are atheists, but they said the values that we carry today as a culture would never have happened if it wasn't for Jesus. Who we are today, what we value, has been shaped by him and his people. So there'll be some things I'll be referencing from that today. There'll be one story that I'm sharing that I primarily got from The Call by Os Guinness, and uh, I'm only a third through the book, so I apologize. I can't fully recommend it. I guess I can recommend a third of it thus far, uh, but it's good thus far. We'll see if I finish it, and then I'll let you know after that. But the other ones, I would encourage you to read. Um, this has shaped some of the thoughts of my message. And then Steve, last week, he shared on the Holy Spirit. So Steve's main point from last week is that Jesus did not merely die and rise again for you just to go to heaven. There's actually so much more than that. He died and rose again that you would, yes, have his resurrection life and that you'd be in heaven with him for all eternity, but that also now today that you'd get to experience his resurrection life in your life, that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit today and walk out with the, whole, with the Holy Spirit today. That his life, what he, how he lived, what he did when he walked on the earth, that you would experience in your life through the Holy Spirit. And that you would be, and there's multiple words that uh, Luke uses in the book of Acts, that you'd be baptized, that you'd be filled, that the Holy Spirit would come upon you in power, that you would have no lack. That being filled, you'd continually be filled with the Spirit. And I'm going to come off right off that message um, and jump into the image of God, the mission of God, and then being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you, we're, you turn to Genesis chapter 1, 26 through 28. The verses will also be on the screen. So you can call this the Imago Dei or the Missio Dei, or and the Missio Dei. The Imago Dei is that we are made in the image of God, and we've also been given the mission of God, or the mission from God. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, so here's the missio day, the mission of God, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Another translation might say, have dominion over it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the screen. And the man became a living person, and the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. 
We cannot separate the image of God from the mission of God. We are made in his image, and out of that being, what flows from being made in his image is being a part of his mission. So I want to talk about the first person that was filled with the Holy Spirit past this point. This would be in Exodus 31. We won't jump around too many scriptures. This is just at the beginning. This is Exodus 31. So this is the first person who got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was just a, a construction worker. <laughs> uh, a construction worker and uh, a designer. He worked with his hands. God, had a, God was an architect and engineer. He had done all the calculations. The building was st- would stand. It was good. Uh, he had this beautiful architectural design, and he laid out this heavenly br- blueprint. And then it says, The Lord God said to Moses, See, I have called my name Bezalel, I think. Um, theologians can help me out with that. The son of Uri, son of Ur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. It's pretty crazy. Uh, we're going to jump to Exodus 35 with a repeat, but this is Moses teaching Israel what's going to happen. And it adds another little component that I want to emphasize. Exodus 35. And Moses, assembled, Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all craftsmanship to create designs for working in gold and silver and in bronze, in the cutting of stones for settings, in the carving of wood, so as to perform in every inventive work. He has also put it in his heart to teach. Right, I'm just going to stop right there. So the first person that got filled with the Spirit of God was not to preach a message, not to evangelize a nation. It was to work with his hands, to take the materials of this earth, the raw materials of this earth, and create something beautiful after it, after a heavenly design. You see what I'm connecting with with Genesis 1? Seeing? Seen a pattern? That he filled him with the Spirit of God with the goal of creating something beautiful. Yes, this was a sanctuary for his presence to dwell here on earth. But I think it's easy for us, the reason I'm sharing this is because I think it can be easy for us to start separating into two tiers the spiritual and the secular, the sacred and the not so sacred. The work of a full time pastor or missionary or someone like me communicating on stage, and it's my job to share the gospel and to disciple students and to read and study the scriptures, and then someone else working with their hands. And this was an error in the church, um, where the church has kind of gone back and forth, I wouldn't say a heresy, but an error, where the church did give preference to and say, there's theologians that have said, the better works, yes, the more holy works, the, what, is, what is, should be prized and valued are people who are devoted disciples of Jesus, and they're showing their devotion by being in full-time ministry. And then secondarily, because it's necessary, and we need money, and we need to, you know, do something with the earth instead of letting it just grow chaotically, you can do that work, but you're funding the more important works. And that might be some of you in this room that have that experience. I personally had that experience. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home, went to, a, went to church, went to private Christian school growing up, and then I got saved going into college about two weeks before being a freshman. And I got saved, and immediately I started devouring the scriptures. I was reading as much as I could, and I asked for advice 
from other freshmen, which was a terrible idea. And so I was, I remember like I was in my dorm room and I was reading scripture. I was like, oh, this is so good. I've like never encountered this truth before. And my chemistry 107 class was coming up. I was like about a five minute walk from my dorm room. And I was like, man, do I, do I go or do I like stay and read the word? Because I'm holy and a devoted disciple. And like, I need to be I, I, I mean, this is, this is preference. So I asked one of my friends who had been following Jesus longer than I had, but he was still a freshman. I was like, hey, what should I do? And he's like, you know what you need to do, period. That was his answer. Uh, and I was like, of course I know what I need to do. I am not going to class because I need to get this in me, and you're going to honor it, God. And uh, I wasn't doing too hot in that class um, and my other ones. And so I did not do super well my freshman year, and I hope that none of you, Y'all follow my example. Um, I needed to repent of that. <laughs> but I thought that it was more spiritual doing spiritual things. And that's the, the stories that I had received. The majority of people that are preaching and sharing stories about going into full-time ministry typically share stories of, I was in the workplace, and I felt like I needed to go into ministry, and so I went to ministry. But typically on Sunday morning, we don't have people who say, I was in the ministry and felt called to the workplace and went into it. Because people are sharing those stories are the ones that are pastors. And typically people in the congregation don't preach as often, which I think is beneficial when we get to hear from y'all. Or Dallas Willard has shaped a lot of my theology understanding of the kingdom. He was a pastor, and he felt called to be a professor. And he felt the Lord say, if you stay in the church, I'm going to close the door to other churches. But if you go and be a part of the university, I'm going to open doors to churches and to open doors that you can't open. And so he left the ministry and became a professor of uh, philosophy at University of Southern California, and he has shaped many people since then. Um, But I think it's easy for us to get that idea of the most spiritual thing I can do is when I become a devoted follower of Jesus is to be in full-time ministry because that's the best thing. And one of my main points this this morning is that's not true. Our, Our heart and desire as a, as a staff, is that some of our best ministers of the gospel wouldn't be people in the pulpit. It'd be y'all. That the best ministers of the gospel would be you. Because that's what he desires. Because we're recovering not just the image of God, but the mission of God. What he's doing in all the earth. Alright, I got a few points I'm going to go through, and then I'm going to share a few stories and scriptures, and then we have an opportunity for you to respond um, this morning. So my first point is that I want you to deeply understand and walk away with is that God is present in your mundane, and that God cares about your work, and then he calls work good, and it is a part of the sacred. You can't separate the sacred and the secular, that it's good if you're in moral work. If you're in immoral or unethical work, we'll have a leadership team up here to pray for you. You can repent and change your job, and we can uh, walk through that. You can please approach Steve after that. Don't go to me. Um, so if, if it's ethical, if it's moral, if it's good. But work is good. There isn't tears in heaven. God isn't what I was praying this morning of, uh, in Colossians 1, that you would know his will, he's not sitting on his throne with a tier list of like, all right, here's A tier when you choose to become a missionary or full-time minister. Then here's like B tier, which is like serving and maybe other things to help people. Then like C tier, business, you know, <laughs> D tier. I'm not going to go further than that. <laughs> 
That's not what he's, that's not his view from heaven. That the way that he values someone doing full-time ministry and the way that he values a stay-at-home parent or a lawyer or, so, or a professor or any, any of your vocations, once again, if it's moral and ethical, <laughs> the way that he values that is the same because he desires that you would be his disciple in that place and learn from him how to do that job if he were doing it and be present in that midst. Because Jesus, the majority of his life, he worked. We don't have many scriptures on it. We have one, and I'll read it at the very end. One scripture, and it's a really powerful one. It's great. We have one uh, that talks about him between 12 and 30, if, you're, you know, if you assume that he went to the ministry at 30. But let's assume that Jesus went to the ministry at 30. He started work at 13. So he worked for about 17 years. So if you take the first part of his life, just growing up and developing as a child, and then his three years of ministry, he spent more than half of his life working. And he was a carpenter, which means that if you want to apply that to your own life, he could have been doing anything that you're doing right now. He could be a plumber, he could have been a lawyer, he could have been a professor, he could have been a stay-at-home parent. But for 17 years, he worked. And how, would we call that not good? Would we call any part of Jesus' life not good? No, that was, that was good. It was good that he was working. And before he started ministry, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus' labor, labor as a carpenter pleased the Lord. Your labor, your, what you're doing for work, whatever capacity or vocation it is, can be pleasing to the Lord. You might not be missing the will and call of God on your life where you're at. The way that you'll miss it is if you're not abiding with him in presently here today. That's, that's how you're going to miss it. All right, next thing. So because you're a spiritual being, there's a spiritual reality to your work. And my hope is that you would leave today with a fresh hope, and a definition for hope is the eager expectation of the goodness of God, that you'd leave with a fresh hope for God to empower you in your work, that he would, his empowering presence would be with you during your work. Now, let me, let me explain. I have the freedom to do my job without God. I could read a bunch of books. I could listen to a bunch of sermons. I could go to church growth guys and tell me exactly what I need to do. I can start doing all that kind of stuff and not pray and not ask for his presence and assistance. It'd be foolish, but I have the freedom to do that. So there's a, it's necessary for me to press into the Spirit of God. It's necessary for me to press in to be filled with Him. And I, I know there's a spiritual component to my God, I can't, to my job. I cannot change a human heart. So I understand that there's a spiritual reality. But why would I have that expectation? Why would we have that expectation as a church for ministers to be filled with the Spirit of God and to expect then for the Spirit to empower their work and not everyone else? If you think that God doesn't want to empower you to do your work well as if he were doing it, that he would be manifest in your work, I think we're missing the, the mission of God. He was with Adam to cultivate that garden, not preaching the gospel. <laughs> now you have to come along, but <laughs> he was with Adam to cultivate the garden, and that Adam got to do it with God. So that'd be one of my points this morning that I hope to emphasize. The next thing is um, no job is exempt from disappointment, disillusionment, 
None, none, none of them. Uh, you can get disillusioned and disappointed with ministry, and you can be deceived in ministry, <laughs> that you think that God's a job, that the church becomes an idol, and that can happen in any job. No job is exempt from deception, from disappointment, from disillusionment. Because the reality is, no job will truly satisfy you. So though I'm saying all these things about God wanting to empower your work, at the same time, the reason why he empowers that work is because he's with you, and the one who satisfies you, the one that truly brings satisfaction, is him. It's not going to be fully in your work. So if you expect work to fulfill a spiritual need in you, it will disappoint you. That includes ministry. Includes being a missionary. Includes being a full-time pastor. Includes being a stay-at-home mom or dad. If you're looking for satisfaction in what he can only do, you'll be disappointed. But like the psalmist wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that's our desire for every single one of you here, that you can confidently say that. He is my shepherd, I shall not want. All right, I think I got 12 minutes. I think we're good. I think we're good. All right, last point. We desire that you be continually surrendered to God. If you're in full-time ministry, a full-time vocational ministry, everyone's in full-time ministry. That's another point. Uh, but if you're in full-time vocational ministry as a missionary or a, on staff as a church, that you would not say, no, but then God won't ever call me into business. <laughs> that you'd be open to God leading you into business in the workplace. And in the same way, no matter how long you've been in work, that you would be surrendered to God's call. If God calls you to go into full-time pastoral ministry or be a missionary, that you'd be surrendered and say yes and go. So there's a tension there. I'm, I, yes, I am both saying your degree is good and God wants you to use it and, and be empowered within it. And he might also call you to lay that degree down, down and go into full-time ministry, pastoral ministry. And he might call you to do both in your lifetime, <laughs> like Stephen Brenda, <laughs> where you do both full-time pastoral ministry and then go into the workplace and then back in full-time ministry, that you oscillate, that you'd be surrendered to the will of God continually. You'd be surrendered to God's call. So there's a quote from Alastair McIntyre who wrote a book called After Virtue. It's a, uh, I think we'll have it on the screen. And this is the reason why I'm going to share a story. Um, it says, we can only answer the question, what am I to do or who am I to be if we can answer the prior questions of what story or stories am I a part of? The reason why I was sharing with the, the mission of God, the reason why I shared a little more story um, I'll share a little funny part of my story, too. Uh, I was pretty intense in college. I was very, very clear. All you needed was scripture. You didn't need books. Uh, so this is about six years ago. Not kidding. I was like, I don't need to read a book. No one needs to read a book. And uh, Ben Mayo asked me one time. I was discipling Ben, uh, who's in the back. And he's like, hey, can I read a book during my quiet time? I was like, um, no. You need to read scripture. Like, are you kidding me? Like, gosh. And then... Uh, Read, read, read a few books for a quiet time the past few weeks. So, <laughs> uh, my intensity, my story that I had just reading scripture. And then someone asked me, like, well, you think that God gave wisdom to other people? I'm like, yeah, but where do you think they got it from? The book. Do I need them? No, I'm going to the source. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty intense. So, I think that six years ago, I would have fought me now. And the six years ago, me would probably have won. Kind of like, I had scripture, so you lost, you know? Uh, I, w I was very confident in my understanding of what was good. <laughs> but I received a story, and God's helped shape that story in my mind. 
Uh, but they're, they're, with the stories that we receive, they shape us. And it's our job to be critically analyze those stories and to see if they actually do line up with the Word of God. And part of that is through community. And so why community is important. So in 1700, there was a man who encountered, he was in politics, he was 25 years old, pretty young. He was in politics, he had a good career ahead of him. And he encountered God and he had what he calls the great change, where he went from one state to another. He saw the glory of Jesus. It shaped him so deeply. He said, I have to leave the life of politics and go into full-time ministry. I have to be a pastor because this is what I need to do. And luckily in that city, he had a pastor uh, who was named John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton had a similar story. Uh, he was a slave trader. He actually, his, his brief synopsis of the story, he was on a ship, and he, had, he was an atheist. He didn't follow God. Uh, and then a storm came, and he was pumping water out of it, and then he started uh, steering the ship. And he'd been reading The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. And as he's steering the ship in the middle of the night, the giant storm, he thinks he's going to die, a proverb comes to mind. And it said, if you don't heed my words, I will laugh at your calamity. Pretty intense. And he got saved. <laughs> Praise God. He gave life to Jesus, started praying for the first time in his life. And he became a Christian. And then he became a slave trader. And he was trying to bring Christianity into the slave trade. He's trying to somehow make, sanctify what was horrific, but it destroyed him so deeply, he went to seminary, became, went into full-time ministry, and became a pastor. And from that point forward, that would be the marking point in his life of what, ha, what the atrocities that he saw in the slave trade. So this man goes to John Newton and tells him, I saw Jesus. I, I, I have an encounter with him. I want to follow him. I'm going to full-time ministry. And John Newton told him and said, wait, wait, wait. Maybe God has you in politics for a reason. Maybe your calling is in ministry. What if your calling is to be in politics and to bring the kingdom of God into there? That man was William Wilberforce who helped abolish the slave trade. He almost missed his calling by going into full-time ministry, full-time vocational ministry. Two years later at 27, he would write in his journal that became famous now, that God has put on my heart two things, the abolition of slavery in the entire world and the reformation of morals. And for the next 50 years, he, along with many men and women, pioneered over and over again of teaching, of being in parliament, of advocating for the slave trade to be abolished. And he said, I know the re one of the reasons why Britain didn't want to abolish it was because he said, what would happen to our economy? He said, it doesn't matter what happens to our economy, we'll figure it out. It doesn't matter. And if we have all the loss of money and resources, it doesn't matter. We cannot continue on with this. And secular atheist historians look back and they say, they, they've said, the greatest moral victory that humanity has ever seen is the abolition of slavery. It was the first time in human history, the first civilization since human history to abolish slavery. The greatest moral victory for humanity. And that that moral victory would not have happened if it wasn't for Christians. One, one secular historian said, 
if, we, if the abolition of slavery was left to the Enlightenment philosophers, we'd still have it today. It was by a deep conviction. But also, I firmly believe, and I hope that you would agree with me, that, that the abolition of slavery wasn't just done by men and women with conviction. It was done by men and women filled with the Spirit of God, with God-empowered work. That William Wilberforce, there was the presence of God was with him to empower him, not just to communicate, but to, to see his work manifest in that midst. And that that would be spread throughout the entire world. We don't want you to miss your call if you encounter the fullness of Jesus and then think that you have to go into full-time ministry when he has something else for you. We also don't want you to miss your call when you encounter Jesus and you think that you don't need to go into full-time ministry. We want to be surrendered to Jesus, to his calling, and do that with community. Praise God for John Newton that he was a full-time, minister, full-time vocational minister. And praise God for William Wilberforce, that he also was in full-time ministry, but he was in parliament, in politics. So maybe God does do something good with politicians, and maybe we should pray for him, pray for them continually. And I can relate to that story from being, like I said, a young, zealous college student in my zeal who said, the best thing I could do is, I have to go into full-time ministry. And here, here I am. But that wasn't, I, I had a misunderstanding of what the mission of God meant. Uh, I think we have some few, there's a book called Call to Business by Dallas Willard. I would encourage you to read it. Um, he gives a definition of discipleship. And I think, do we have those on? They're up there. So wait, we move in a world that it seems constantly harasses us and distracts us from the purpose that in our heart of hearts we should feel we should be fulfilling. And the place of discipleship is wherever I am now. It is wherever I am now. And whatever I'm doing now. If we don't understand that, then most of our life will be left out of the place of discipleship. It may be home, it may be work, play, or church, but discipleship should take place wherever I am now. Because discipleship is not just a matter of learning what he says, but learning to do everything I do in the way that he would do it if he were I. And I would, I, I eagerly desire that the greatest ministers would be in our midst. I want to be, I, I want to be in the class as a student with a professor who's teaching as if that person were Jesus. If Jesus himself were, were just being a professor for a few, uh, for a few years, how would he do that? Or a stay-at-home parent, or a lawyer, or a politician. That how Jesus would do it, that's, that's our role. So that's my invitation for this, this Sunday, is that you would live a life continually asking Jesus, how would you do this thing that I'm doing right now? And I want to actively learn from you. In order to do that, we need to be present with him, but we also need to believe rightly that he wants to empower what we're doing now. He wants to be with us and empower that work now. That he's not waiting for you to answer some other call. That he's with you present there. So that's the other quote. We should also expect that there will be evidence of a supernatural hand of God in the work we do. That's part of discipleship too. A part of discipleship is learning how to fulfill our responsibilities and complete our tasks in such a way that God will be manifestly present in that work. And if you're careful to distinguish between who you are and what you do, then you'll have a basis to understand in the face of the pressures that can tear you apart in this world. If you know who you are, you will endure. 
and you will experience disillusionment and disappointment. Um, there will be hardships within any job that you take. But if you're present with him, if you're learning from him how, how to do your work, if you're learning from him how to be like him where you are, you will not miss being satisfied. You won't have any lack because you're with him because that's where your fullness comes from. It comes from him and him alone. And this world desperately needs people who have a robust vision of the kingdom of God, that have a beautiful view of what it means to follow Jesus. It's a full view. It doesn't lack. Because like I said at the beginning, where Alastair McIntyre said, that we are shaped by our stories. People don't wake up in the morning. You didn't wake up this morning. I didn't wake up this morning. I woke up this morning and Aiden was crying, and I was like, I just need to go do something and help him. <laughs> and then Grace saved me. I was rocking him. He's like crying even more. I'm like, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> and then Grace saved me. So thank you, Grace. Um, we don't wake up in the morning thinking, what are the principles that I'm going to follow today? Sorry, number one, what's that truth? Number two, what's that truth? Like, what are all the, what are all the doctrines and all the little ideas that we have in my brain? Like, what are all the orders? How am I going to live today? We, we don't operate that way. There is, though, something that we desire and that we would naturally go towards. Uh, so another way of putting that is you are less likely to get pushed by your thoughts and beliefs than pulled by your loves and desires. That's what's going to pull you to how you're going to live. And if we have a good vision of the kingdom that's not just theoretical, it's not just information, that we have a deep conviction a deep, deep love in our heart of Jesus, of his work on the earth, how his work is partnering with our work. If we have a deep vision of Jesus being present with us and what it looks like for his kingdom to be here established on earth, or maybe not say on earth, maybe in your job, in your, the building where you actually go and work, or in your home, that that will guide us more than trying to think about, all right, what's like a good theological truth that I need to memor- like, think about today? Theology is only as helpful as it shapes and forms you. If you just have information, that's not going to help you. It has to be how it's forming you into the image of Jesus and being pulled by your loves for him. And if we are a people that have a deep love for the kingdom of God and able to share that with our coworkers, with the people in in our workplace, because yes, the, the mission of God is not absent of preaching the gospel, but if we're not just sharing, hey, we're, you know, we're really spiritual, so like, you have to do all these spiritual things, and oh, it's a drag that to be at work with you. <laughs> but that there's a joy of God partnering with me here in the work that I'm doing, that the kingdom of God can invade this place also. And this is, my, I, this is how I see Jesus in the kingdom, that that story is much greater than the story the world's telling right now. The story of Jesus and his kingdom, the, the full understanding of the good news of his kingdom, is such a better story than the world is offering and we need to be people that are con- not just convinced of that story, but live out of that story, where we can say, what I'm able to do and who I am able to be, it's coming out of his story. All right, if y'all can stand. We're going to read this last. We always had to look at the life of Jesus. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's not that many scriptures about it. So we're going to read one. It's Luke chapter 2, 52. We have it on the screen, I think. Here it is, Jesus before he started his ministry and after he was 12 years old. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature in favor with God and people. Boom. And this was good. 
It was good that he worked. I, I would want a table made by Jesus. That, that sounds awesome. I want to eat at a table that's made by Jesus. Jesus kept increasing wisdom and stature in favor with God and people. The next thing we hear from him is him getting baptized and the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So my invitation to you is just like how Jesus lived, that we'd model our life from him. That you'd ask the question, that you'd seek it for yourself and in community. I'm going to say something that might sound intense. Fully understanding how to do your job is not, you're not going to find a page in scripture that tells you how to be a professor that's like Jesus bringing the kingdom of God into the workplace or an outline of, you know, how to be a lawyer. (laughs) That's not what this book is going to tell you. It'll give you a lot of life and a lot of truth. But the way that you're going to learn how to be like Jesus and how to do a job like he would do it is you have to be present with him. You have to listen to him. You have to ask. You have to expect for him to be present with you and you have to do it in community. We see over and over again how the call of God, the mission of God is an absent of community. The call of God in your life is not just purely an individual calling. It's a corporate calling too to be a part of a family. And as a family, we help one another. So another way of putting that is discipleship. Discipleship to Jesus and then discipleship from other people of asking for help. What do you do or how have you seen God show up in your workplace? And yes, sometimes that will look like you sharing the gospel, praying for the sick. That will look like uh, you doing quote-unquote spiritual things. It will also look like you doing other spiritual things like being excellent in your work, being joyful in your work. Hopefully that, God's, that people see God's hand on the work that you do. And that, like Jesus, that we continually grow in favor. We grow in wisdom, we grow in stature, we grow in favor with both God and people. Because that he's present with us, doing the work in us and through us. So we're going to have life leaders come up uh, to the front. Um, specifically, if you want, here's a few ways to respond. Uh, if you feel like you've missed God in your workplace... And you just want to encounter God in your workplace, that you would be aware of God's present presence presently wherever you go. I want you to come and get prayer. I'm being I'm being serious. <laughs> if there is anything unethical or immoral in your job, repent. <laughs> like John Newton. <laughs> repent. Some things can't be sanctified. <laughs> Hopefully there's no one in the room. But if you are, the opportunity to receive salvation uh, and forgiveness. <laughs> If you are just desiring to be filled with the Spirit, come, receive prayer. If you need to repent of an error in your mind where you have separated discipleship to Jesus, to just the spiritual things like Sunday morning and not work, and you're just wanting a a clear, robust vision of the kingdom of God, come and get prayer. Because that reality happening in your life isn't going to come from my message. It's going to come from the Spirit of God convicting you and depositing something in you. It's a spiritual reality you need prayer. If you are sick, if you're hurting, if you need prayer for healing or anything, come up and get prayer. If you need to confess sin and you receive healing, come and receive prayer. Um, so I'm going to pray and encourage you to respond how the Holy Spirit is leading you. Jesus, we thank you for your life. 
Jesus, we thank you for your resurrection life. We thank you that when you created us, you said it was good. And the mission that you gave us, it's good. Jesus, I thank you for every occupation and profession, every business that's represented here and bless it in your name and ask for your blessing. We ask for your presence. We ask for your empowering presence in everything that we are doing. Jesus, we thank you that you draw near. We thank you that you took on flesh. We thank you that you have given us the authority to partner with you to see your, your creation for us to come rule and reign with you on it. To take the raw resources of earth and create something beautiful with it. Father, I bless stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads. Ask for your joy and peace in raising children. Bless teachers, bless so many probably occupations here. All the business owners we have present. Jesus, ask for your joy in work, your peace in work, your empowerment in work. Thank you, Jesus, that you truly are the only one that is satisfied. We ask that the sum of our lives, the sum of our work would lead to goodness on the earth and glory to your name. In Jesus' name.